It is time. We have a rule in our house. Our kids would start listening to Christmas music in July if we would let them. Um, and, and Krista has a pretty hard, fast rule that you do not get Christmas music until the day after Thanksgiving. And so around our house, that has, has now happened. And the, the, the switch has turned. And now it is, it's time for us to begin to focus on this amazing thing that Christ came, that our Savior came, that God sent His Son to redeem us, the long-awaited Son. And Christmas songs are really kind of one of the neatest things about Christmas for us, isn't it? I mean, you've got the tree, but you've got songs everywhere. And the amazing thing about the Christmas songs is everyone is singing them, right? Everyone. I mean, you have, you have your traditional uh, church hymns types Christmas songs. You have Silent Night. Um, you have, you have uh, your, your modern uh, worship Christmas, Christmas songs, hymns every year. You know, modern Christmas. Modern artists will put out worship Christmas music, but then you also have uh, kind of fun secular Christmas songs that set the tone. You know, uh, I, w- I always loved rocking around the Christmas tree. I don't. I, I always loved that as a kid. Um, you know, I don't. I think. I think during some of my critical formative years, I must have been exposed to this. But I, I, I love Elvis Presley Christmas. Okay, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, so, but and it's everywhere. If you listen right now, some of your radio stations might mix in a Christmas song or two. But within two weeks, everything from the country music stations to the rock music stations, everybody will be playing Christmas music. And as we lead up to the day of Christmas, what happens, at least wherever I've lived before, I assume that, that here it'll be the same thing, is that all of your radio stations are playing even traditional Christmas songs, the day of and the days surrounding Christmas. It's a wonderful time. The, the world sings of Christ. The world sings of what God has done. The world sings of this time. And so songs, Christmas songs, are an incredible part of our cultural tradition here and an incredible part within the church um, of, of what we get to sing. And, and so I wanted us to think about, though, the four original Christmas songs. What we find in Luke chapters 1 and 2 is we find four occasions of singing, um, a prophetic singing, a poetic of, of what are called the four songs of the first Christmas. And that's what I want us to look at is these four songs. And so this week we're going to look at Mary's song. Um, next week we will look at Zechariah. Well, no, next week we'll have the missionary after, after next week. When we return, we'll look at the song from Zechariah. And then the angels come and sing with the shepherds. And last, Simeon sings a song of hope, an old man that has waited his whole life to see the Messiah. And so each one of these will do a, a couple of things for us. My hope and my prayer as we, as we think about this and we think of these four songs and we look at, at Scripture is that it would prepare us for the true meaning of Christmas. And I understand the hustle and the bustle and the shopping and all of the things that surround Christmas. It's, it's overwhelming sometimes, isn't it? And it's easy to become distracted. Christmas, even though all of the culture sings Christmas, it's not all focused on Christ. And so I want us to focus over these next few weeks on Christ and, and on what it meant on this first Christmas to these people and what it means to us today, how their lives and their faithfulness and their hope 
in what God would do through the Messiah will resonate with us today, that we would live faithfully and we would live with hope because we still await Christ's return. We still await our final salvation. We still live by faith, right? And so that's my hope and my prayer. Now, there's something that you need to realize, and that is that the Hebrew people love to sing. And, and we see this all throughout the Old Testament. In fact, we have a big chunk in our Old Testament that's called what? The Psalms. It's the songs of the Hebrew people. And throughout prophetic statements, throughout historical documents, you'll hear all the time that people are overwhelmed with joy, the Hebrew people, and they express it how? They begin singing. They begin singing these songs. The Spirit of God comes upon them and, and puts them into a song of praise. And it's an important aspect of Hebrew literature and it's important for us to see and to recognize and so i want us to look at these i want us to look at these original the the original soundtrack of christmas if you would the 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 songs of the first christmas the songs of the first christmas pray with me as we begin to consider this today father we thank you for your goodness we thank you for your love we thank you for christ we thank you father that you that you have redeemed us. That is the story of Christmas. The story of Christmas is that you have covered the need that we had, that you sent the Messiah, you sent your Son to save us from our sins because we could never save ourselves. You have provided salvation. And so, Father, we thank you for that and we praise you, Lord, for you are good and wonderful. Father, we pray now that as we look to this song of Mary and we look to her worship Father, would you transform us into worshipers with the same zeal and passion and trust and hope that we see here in this song? Father, we thank you and we praise you. It is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Now, for us to get ready for this passage, I want to back up and I want to start and and kind of walk through the the book of Luke. I'm going to break all of the the preaching rules that were taught to me at seminary about long introductions because I want us to get in the mindset of what's happening this first Christmas and and specifically what Luke mentions because a lot of times uh, the the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what we call the synoptic gospels that are very close, they all provide a little bit different lens is right about the about it about the picture and what's going on and so matthew will show one thing luke will show one thing i want us to kind of focus on the story of luke since we're going to be looking at luke one and two and luke opens not about jesus you remember matthew opens with that big genealogy yeah you skip it don't you <laughs> matthew opens with the big genealogy luke actually opens with the story of john the baptist luke opens with a couple um an elderly couple in their 60s, 70s, maybe even into their 80s, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And Zechariah and Elizabeth have been barren. They have not been able to have children. Zechariah is a priest, and part of his service is to leave his community and to go to the temple to serve in the temple a few weeks out of the year. And, and that's where the story comes, as Zechariah is at the temple, he is serving, and while he was serving in the temple... Gabriel, the angel, comes to him. Now, this is a pretty amazing event when we stop and we think about it because no one has heard, has seen an angel in over 450 years at this point. God has not spoken through his prophets in almost 400 years. 
God has been silent. This is called the, the, time, the period of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The, the people of God are under Roman rule. All looks bad. Where is God? Where is He? Hope is waning. And out of nowhere, when they least expect it, it is time. It is the time that God has chosen for the Messiah to, be, to come for his prophecies to be fulfilled. It is time for Christ to come. And it starts with this man, Zechariah, in the temple. And he's in the temple, and Gabriel comes to him, and he announces to him that his wife, his barren elderly wife, will become pregnant. And that's a miracle. Um, I don't think any of our elderly people here are expecting that they're going to have a baby anytime soon. And so this is an amazing miracle that will happen. And even more so than the miracle that this will happen to an elderly couple who have been barren is what it means. Gabriel tells him that he will be the prophet that comes before the Messiah, that he will prepare the way for the Messiah, that after all of these years of silence, after all of these years of struggle, that God is now going to, to step forward. It is time. It is time for the Messiah. It is time for God's, history, for God's redemptive plan to take place that they have been anticipating. And so you can see this isn't just a birth announcement. This is an announcement of salvation that is coming. And it begins with this elderly priest in the temple. And he, he questions the, the prophet, and the prophet says, or not the prophet, he questions the angel Gabriel, and Gabriel says, This will be another sign as you will become silent until this happens. And that'll play into our next, our next message when we look at the, the song that Zechariah sings after John the Baptist is born. And so this is pretty incredible news. God is now working. This is all coming to be, this is happening. <clears throat> and then and then uh, it, we read that Elizabeth becomes pregnant. And then the story kind of comes to a pause. And then starting in verse 26, the storyline changes. The scene changes. It changes away from Zechariah and Elizabeth. And it focuses now on a young girl. On a, on a young girl. Uh, not an older lady, but a young girl. A young girl who is not married. A young girl who is a virgin, a young girl probably we expect around 13 to 15 years old, um, a young girl named Mary. And Gabriel comes to her and he tells her that she too is going to have a child. But this time some, some elements are different. This time, she's not married. She will not be with a man. The Holy Spirit Himself will put the child within her. Um, and this child will not be the one to prepare for the Messiah, but He will be called the Son of the Most High. Now, this is amazing. We, we're, we're familiar with this story. We're very familiar with this story. So it, it loses the impact but think of the miracle here. Think of all that is going on. He says that one day that he will be given the throne of his father David. He is the hope of nations. He is the one in whom they have awaited. That is what God is doing in this young, insignificant girl from an insignificant place. 
that has no reason within herself that, that she should be the one to receive this. And so we have this story of two incredible conceptions of Elizabeth and of Mary. Gabriel continues to tell Mary that, uh, that not only is God doing this in her, but that her cousin is, uh, Elizabeth has become pregnant. Um, and, <clears throat> and then with that, we see that Mary immediately goes to see Elizabeth. She goes to see Elizabeth. Now, I want us to, to stop just for a minute and think, well, why is it that she immediately goes to see Elizabeth? Okay. Now imagine um, that, uh, that you're this young girl and God has told you this incredible thing that, that you were going to be pregnant uh, by the Holy Spirit. Who, who, who would trust you? Who, who would you go to? Well, maybe an elderly lady who by miracles God has done the same thing and allowed her to become pregnant. If, if you... Who are you going to go and tell that the angel Gabriel just came to you? Well, maybe to a family that the angel Gabriel had just came to as well. Or perhaps you're going to tell people that the child that you have is going to be the Messiah. Who would, who would trust you? Who would you go to? Well, how about to the one to whom the angel Gabriel just said, the prophet that comes before the Messiah is going to be your child? So you see, there's a lot of connection and there's a lot of reason why Mary leaves and goes to see Elizabeth. And we also have to imagine the, how Mary feels. It says that she's willing. It says that she's hopeful. But there's still, could you imagine the cloud of concern and anxiety? Have you ever, have you ever thought about that? Now, when you're trying to get pregnant and you've tried for a long time and you receive news that you're pregnant, you are joyous. We had friends in Nevada, and they had tried for a long time and were, were never able to get pregnant, and she became pregnant, and I still remember she called him on the phone. He was, a, he was an over-the-road driver, and she called him on the phone, and he's driving, and I still remember him just freaking out over the phone. Yeah! I mean, just go, I, I, she's like, calm down or you're going to die. Um, if you are expecting and, and wanting a child, it's a joyous and wonderful event, if you're not expecting a child and you're a 13-year-old unwed mother, it's an announcement of anxiety, isn't it? It's an announcement of anxiety. And so we can only imagine that the, the angel told her that, that she was going to have a child. Um, she's only 13. She is, she is engaged to be married to, uh, to a man, Joseph. He, he would know that this wasn't his child. What would his reaction be? What, what does this mean for her life now? Uh, even more, it could be life-threatening. Deuteronomy 22 called, the, called for stoning of individuals in such conditions in their society. Um, what would happen? Could you imagine the fear and the anxiety in this, in this young girl. And yet, it's the, verse, it, the, the Scripture tells us in verse 38 that this was her response when Gabriel said all of this to her. I am the Lord's servant, or literally bondservant, slave. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. May your word to me be fulfilled. And so, the, what we see is Mary goes to Elizabeth to see her and Part of this is a confirmation. Part of this removes all the fears 
um, that Mary has, all of the anxieties that she has about what God is doing. And what we see is we see, we see a threefold confirmation that God gives Mary to affirm her in what he is doing in her to build her faith. We see, first of all, that there is a, a personal confirmation when she goes and she meets Elizabeth. Obviously, Elizabeth is, is, is more than six months pregnant now, around six months pregnant. We don't know exactly, but she's got the baby bump, right? Um, and so, you know, imagine a 70-year-old woman with the baby bump. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there's a confirmation there that God is at work, right? That what God said, this miracle is taking place. Um, and then there is a, a physical confirmation, if you remember. Uh, when, when Elizabeth comes near Mary, the, the child in her womb does what? It leaps for joy. God uses, God uses this as a, as a confirmation um, that, that, this, that, that Mary is is pregnant with the Lord, that, that, uh, that the child leaps for joy. Um, the third is, is a prophetic confirmation. If you remember, Elizabeth comes to Mary and she says that she's filled with the Holy Spirit. She's filled with the Holy Spirit and here's what she says. She says in a loud, she's, Elizabeth, verse 42 through 45, um, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. But, <clears throat> but why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of the greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb re- leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed and who has, who has believed in the Lord that he would fulfill her promises to her. And so with this, all doubts are removed in Mary. I've gone through this this long introduction here to set the stage so that you could see and and maybe begin to understand and and think about the, the position that Mary is in, what's going in her head, what she's feeling, what's happening. And then these three things has happened as she's gone to see Elizabeth. She has seen that, that God has done this miracle in Elizabeth. She has seen the, the baby leap for joy as it comes near her. And Elizabeth now filled with the Holy Spirit says, you are the mother of my Lord. Blessed are you. Some of the same words that the angel Gabriel spoke to her. Blessed are you for you are the mother of my Lord. And blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. All doubts are removed. This is, this is a moment in her heart, in her mind, in her soul that God has just confirmed. Has, has God ever done that to you? Has God ever given you a sense of peace? Right? The, the uh, difficult situation, something, something difficult go through, and perhaps you consult the Lord's w- the Word. Perhaps you consult other individuals. Maybe you come to the pastor, and they, they give you, you know, advice, and you're praying, and you're wondering, and then in a moment, the Lord speaks to you. He settles your heart. He, through maybe something that happens, connecting all the dots, opening all the doors in a straight line, and you know without a doubt that the Lord has done this, and you, no matter how difficult it seems, no matter how odd it might seem to others, you go down that path joyfully with conviction and with praise. Have you ever had that? That's what we see here with Mary. And so with, with this moment, all of her doubts are gone. All of her fears seem to be calmed. And she 
she begins her song in verse 46. At that very moment, she turns, she turns in her heart and in her mind, and this is how she breaks forth. She says, and Mary said, verse 46, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of me in my humble estate, in the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. His, ho- his holy name, holy is his name. Verse 50. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised to our ancestors. Now, this is the song of Mary. It's, it's called uh, the, the Magnificat in, in the Latin, meaning praise, meaning exalts. The, the words that she says that she exalt, her soul exalts in the Lord. And <clears throat> the key to understanding what is happening here is that this is, this is a song of praise. This is a response of praise based on what God has done for her. And so let me just take a a few seconds here to comment on this because we're Baptists and we're talking about Mary and the church. There is, there is obviously some, some Christian, uh, denominations and traditions that have taken the pendulum of Mary and, and, and elevated it so high that she is seen in some of these traditions as the co-redemptrix that Mary can save you as well as Jesus. That's false. That's not in Scripture. On the other end, we have the reaction to that and traditions that in no way would talk about Mary, in no way would attribute anything good to her, um, and seem to try to ignore her as, a, as an overreaction to what others have, have over-elevated Mary. And I've said this before as we've, as we've looked at uh, Luke eleven twenty seven and 28, and that is Mary is a, a, a human. She is a person. She is not made into some divine being. But Mary is a model in many ways for us. This is a young girl who absolutely loved God. She absolutely knew the scriptures. We'll, we'll, you can see that through her song. She's, she is... She is quoting many things throughout the Old Testament. She knew the history of the people of God. We can see that throughout this as she talks about what God has done for his people throughout the generations. She is a person who believed in God, who believed that he would save his people one day. She, she believed. She is a model believer in many ways. She is someone who we should not completely dismiss. She is a model. And in Luke's account... She plays a very important role. Luke points to her in a few places as a model. And this morning, what I want us to see is her worship, her, her explanation of worship here is a model for us for worship as well. That the song of Mary, the praise of Mary, reveals to us the heart of what true worship looks like. And so that's what I want us to look at today. So the first thing that I want us to see is the attitude of worship. 
the attitude of worship. We see this from what Mary says here. Mary is a great illustration of, of the proper attitude of worship. And the first thing that we can see is, is that worship is primarily internal, not external. It is primarily internal. Look at verses 46 and 47. She says, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Deep down within me, my soul, my spirit, these words are, are synonymous ways for her to say, my innermost being, with all that I am, with all that I am, with my innermost affecting every bit of me, I am rejoicing because of what God has done, because of what I see God doing. It brings me to rejoice and to praise and to love Him. This is the attitude of worship. Worship is not just external. In fact, Jesus, <coughs> Jesus shows us this. Jesus says that, uh, that God is spirit and those who are true worshipers worship Him in spirit and in truth. In fact, Jesus also, He uh, he he rebuked Pharisees because of the way that they worshiped. Because they, they worshiped through their actions, but their hearts were, what? Far from God. And so we have to be careful that our worship is not just external. It is great and it's wonderful to come and to sing and to come and to pray and, and to do all of the things that you might do as part of your worship of how you communicate with God and commune with God. But remember, if you're just going through the motions, it's not worship. God doesn't just require for us to do things. He wants us to do the things because we truly love Him because we truly know Him. Worship is primarily internal. It's primarily internal. The second thing that we see from her worship here is that true worship is intense. Look at verse 46. It says, My soul glorifies the Lord. The, the word here, it's your, your Bible might say, extols the Lord, makes great the Lord, magnifies the Lord. It, it means large. It means, it means she... Her soul loves the Lord so much she wants to make Him known. She has to worship. She has to rejoice. She bursts forth in song. Why? Because on the inside, God has shown this to her and she is so moved in her heart that it comes out in the things that she does. That's the way that worship flows. It flows from the inside out. From the inside out. Uh, she says that she rejoices. Verse 47, my spirit rejoices. It means to be overjoyed. Again, the, the things that are happening on the inside are shown in the external. Show me a church that worships and I'll show you a church that really loves Jesus. Why? Because people that know Jesus, that love Him, that know His Word, that are moved by what God has done for them, they can't help but worship. They can't help but be overjoyed. When you think about your salvation, when you think about all that God has done for you, when you see God at work in your life, when you see God at work in others, when you see this happening, does it bring you joy? Does it flow out? Maybe for some of you it flows out in song. That's what worship looks like. And Mary models this for us. She models a, a, a worship that is <clears throat> that is internal, it's intense. Notice also um, 
Mary's worship, the, the intensity of it, it didn't have to be provoked. It didn't have to be uh, uh, brought up. This is a danger that the church today is facing. And I, I don't want to overstep and overcompensate, but, but there are lots of, there's lots of ideas about worship today that's basically, we've got to get everybody revved up to worship. Because they wouldn't do it on their own. The truth. The truth of God should bring us to worship. That's why we are intentional. We, we try to be extremely intentional about what we're singing. Not about the style primarily. If you're focused on style, that's not the idea of worship. The truth of what you're singing. And, and, and there's, there's room for multitudes of styles and expressions. But the heart of it is the truth. Is the truth motivating you as you sing the words, as you, as you look to the things, as you, as you think about what is in the text of what you're singing? Does it bring you to worship? Some songs are very uh, fervent and, and exciting and empty. <laughs> That's not what true worship looks like. True worship is motivated, again, by the internal primarily, what we know, how it moves us, and then, and then being rooted in that, it flows out. The third thing that we see from Mary's worship is that it's humble. It is extremely humble. Only humble people can truly worship. Only humble people can truly worship. Why is that? Because the proud people can't worship God because they're too busy worshiping themselves. They're too fixated on their greatness to stop and see their need for the Lord, to stop and understand His goodness, to stop and to praise Him. And, and we're going to see more in this text about, about the, the humble, the lowly, and the high, those that, that consider themselves elevated in God's opinion on such things. But the, the lowly, that she is humble. Look at this. She says, um, verse 48, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant from all generations. Now I will be blessed. Can you imagine this? God chose a young, a 13-year-old, about, unmarried girl from an insignificant town with no money, no prestige, lowly of low to be the mother of the Messiah. That's why she's humble. That's why she responds this way. Who am I, Lord, that you would use me? I'm, I'm not great. Who, who, who am I that, that for, for generations to come they will call me blessed because of what you have done? Who am I? I am not deserving of this. I, I'm a sinner. I'm not great humble worship that is humble okay so we've seen the attitude of worship it's internal it's intense it's humble look at the object of worship mary teaches the object of worship verse 46 my soul extols the lord now in verse 47 look at how she how she says this even more my spirit has rejoiced in god my savior Mary knows and understands. She knows enough about the Bible. She knows enough about the Old Testament. She knows enough about prophecy that she knows what God is doing through this one who he is putting in her womb. 
That, that in Him, He is the fulfillment. He is the salvation for nations. He is the one to come. He is the Savior of Israel. He is the one, she will say, that was promised to Abraham. She knows this. She understands this. She knows that He is the Savior. She knows she's also her Savior. That she is in need of salvation. She knows her sin. And, and we, can, we can recognize God for many things. We can recognize him as creator. We can recognize him as our sustainer. We can recognize him for providence, that he gives us all good things. We just celebrated Thanksgiving. We celebrated the providence of God, his goodness towards us. We thanked him for that. And all of those things are good and great, but they will not lead us to this great worship. Think about it. If you only regard God as creator and not as your savior... It's empty. God, thank you for all the great, wonderful, amazing things that you have done. This is fantastic. But I still have this sin problem. I'm still bound for hell. You see that? We can thank God for, for being providence. God, thank you for giving me so many wonderful things. I am so thankful for all the things that you gave me. But I've still got my sin problem. And I can't do anything about it. So what truly motivates us to worship, what truly motivates passionate worship? Understanding God as our Savior. God, you have saved me. You have done for me that which I could not do for myself. You have provided me salvation through Jesus Christ. That moves you to worship, does it not? If you find that your worship is stale, if you find I don't have the zeal that I used to, I don't know what it is, but I just I feel dull about worship, I feel dull about my relationship with the Lord, let me remind you to think about that which He has done for you, and it should cause inside of you a deep internal joy that explodes as you want to praise Him. Does it do that? If you know Him, it should. If you know Him, it should. And so we see the attitude of worship. We see the object of worship. We also see the reason of worship. The reason of worship here. And she worships God primarily for three reasons. The first is what God is doing in her. Verse 48, For he has been mindful of the humble estate of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. And so when we worship, when we, when we want this kind of a vibrant worship and praise in our life, think about the things that God has done for you. Primarily your salvation, but maybe the other wonderful things that you have done. Maybe you have battled with health issues for years and prayed, God, would you save me? God, would you send the right answers? Would you send the right treatments? Would you heal me? And you've seen this happen. And so you praise God for what He's doing in you. Praise Him for, for what He's doing in you. And here she, she starts with this, that, that, I, that she's humble. And she says, "For look what you have done in me. It causes her great worship. Second thing is, is that she praises God. The reason that she praises God here is because what He will do for others. She's not only concentrated on herself, but look at verse 50. <clears throat> His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. What she's saying is, God, you are doing this now. You are coming. Your Messiah is here within me. But this is not just for me. 
For all generations, you are providing a Savior. For all of those who will trust in you, believe in Him, you are providing a Savior. And this causes her great joy. We should, we should be filled with praise of what God is doing in the lives of others. We should be hopeful, not discouraged. I know the days look dark. I know our news media and everything wants to frame it around. The world is ending tomorrow. But we have great news. I've read the end of the book. Okay? I know what's happening. God is at work. Last, last Sunday, we had Tim here, missionary in Asia, and he told us of amazing, powerful, wonderful things that God is doing in China, a land that does not know him. Next week, we'll hear from another missionary from Asia who I'm sure will give us wonderful reports of things that God is doing. Look and know and, and try to understand. This is why missions is so important and vital for the church, not just to do, but to remind us God is at work. Great is he to be praised. The nations are coming to Christ. One day he will finally save us all. We have that hope. So she looks to what God is doing in others. Third, she looks to what God has done. <laughs> we see this in verse 51 through the end here. We see, we see he's done. He has done. He has. He has. He has. He has done. She looks back. And this is a very Jewish way to praise God, to look back upon the things that God has done. And we don't have the time, but we could look at, at each one of these things that she mentions, that God has, has, has humbled the proud and exalted lowly Israel throughout the past. This is a, this is a verse, it's very interesting historically to look at, at these verses here. Uh, uh, Bonhoeffer, who was a, who was a, a pastor in Germany, during Hitler's time, he quoted these verses publicly that God will, God will bring down those on high and raise the lowly. Throughout the world, the church, when it's undergone persecution, has used these verses, has seen this as, as a hope that God, you will restore us, you will lift us up. You are with the lowly, not with the proud and the arrogant and the rulers of the world that are against you. And so... She looks back to all that God has done. All that God has done in his people. And then the, the last thing that I want us to see is <laughs> she sees all of this that God is doing through redemptive history. Look at verse 55. She sees this, again, Mary knew her Bible. Look at verse 55. She, says, she sees this as a fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. It, it is all because of what he has said to our fathers, to Abraham, and his offspring forever. And so if you go back to Genesis 12, God makes a covenant with Abraham and he promises that through Abraham, all the nations will be blessed. And this is accomplished through Jesus Christ, through what he has done on the cross, through his, his death on the cross on our behalf, through providing for our sins, that all who would call upon him for salvation would be saved. Friends, let me, let me end with this, this concept from here. Do we know him? Do you know Jesus in this way? Have you called upon him to save you from your sins? Is this a personal salvation? Mary doesn't make a, a generic song of praise here. You know, great is God for, for you know, providing Jesus. She says, this is my Savior. That God is saving her through what he is doing. That he is redemptive. Do you have the same confidence? Do you have the same praise?
If not, with, with all that I could encourage you, I, I would encourage you to seek the Lord while He is near. If He is speaking to your heart, if the Spirit of God is telling you, I need to get this right, would this Christmas be your first Christmas with Christ? That you truly know Him and have accepted Him as your Savior. This is an amazing text. It's amazing what God is doing It's an amazing story. I hope that you will revisit it. Read through the first chapter here and and look at all these pieces, things that I've tried to piece together and put yourself in the shoes of of those who are being revealed the promises of God and and what is happening. But remember, Mary sets forth in this song what true worshipers look like. What true worshipers look like. They, They have the right attitude. They have the right object of worship. And they worship God for the right reasons, for who He is and what He has done. Do you praise God like that? Let her be an example to us today.